we want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82 Designs, 482 Designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82 Designs, at F-O-U-R, 82 Designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R, 82 Designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's light years better than our first one. Also, we divide the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right. Here we go. Coming down. Three, two. back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at Fans Working. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast, and for any ideas that you might have, that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Dave, this weekend, we had the joy of watching some of All Out for me, and you were able to watch the whole show. Yeah. Before we kind of go through it, like, what are your impressions of the pay-per-view as a whole? It was high. It was... It was their worst effort. I didn't think it was their best effort in terms of pay-per-views and big shows. Pacing was really off. The pacing really dragged. I thought part of that was maybe because I was tired. It was Labor Day weekend. I worked a lot. But then I got kind of the same response from other people. Mike Flynn had messaged me, and he said, he said, this card is just dragging. He said, a lot of these matches that I would like don't seem to be clicking. There was some weird booking decisions. There's some good from this show, too. There are some good things that I like that maybe other people wouldn't. I almost feel weird about the things I actually really like, but I'll mention that as we go on the show. But for the most part, hey, and I'm not shitting on the company. I still love AEW. Dynamite's still great. This just wasn't a solid effort. It didn't happen to work out. Yeah, this is weird. This is almost like... In the whole time that I've been watching AEW, the only thing that I'd be like, ooh, wow, that was not great. I mean, some of, like, the early Dark Order stuff, like, where they got exposed with the hits wasn't a good look for the company, but I could get over it. This, I mean, there's obviously a couple things that really touched people the wrong way. And like you said, it was just odd pacing. Shit that was going to be on the pre-show got moved to the regular show. Where things were placed on the show, I thought, was weird. 
Yeah, and I'll touch up on a few other things too. Some of this could have been the heat, you know, and <clears throat> Dynamite was taped once in a while. They were going back and forth. And when you can do that, you have the ability to crowd scoot a little bit. That wasn't able to happen with a lot of this show. So Daily Place isn't always the best for sale. It's an open arena. And then the people are really hot. And they were probably, you know, and so it's just hard to say. I mean, this actually, if you go back, one of the people we had fans, whatever event they had at Daily Place, it was a good look. Remember, there were people tired that night, too, and they were complaining about the heat. So there's something that happens once a lot of the place. Yeah, I know for me, especially with work, like, Labor Day weekend kicked my ass. I went to a party after work and then right to the pay-per-view. So I caught pretty much all of the undercard. Everything up in the last match I saw was Hikaru Shida versus Thunder Rosa. But let's kind of go through the card and break it down a little bit. One other thing, too. How bizarre is it? Like, WWE just had, like, a decent SummerSlam. Payback was better than expected because there was low expectations going into that. But they came off like a touted SmackDown this weekend. How weird is it that we have like good WWE feedback and then we're talking about negative AEW feedback? It almost feels bizarre. It's definitely backwards, but we we'll start talking about the show and there's there'll be a couple obvious reasons why this thing went oh, yeah. south. Now, Private Party versus Silver and Reynolds on the pre-show. I it was a perfectly mm. fine pre-show match, but oh, it yeah. was something I could see kicking off the pay-per-view. Maybe would it was a good a tag idea. match. Would have been a better idea. Actually, originally the tooth and nail match was going to be on the pre-show. Tony had mentioned that there was some negative feedback. People thought that should have been on the main card. So we ended up getting two additional matches. One we didn't mention, Joey Janela had one against Sarah Pentico. Sarah Pentico, thank you. And then we had this match, which I thought it would have been a great match to kick off. You're right. And another thing, too, I want to add, I don't, hey, I'm happy the guys got jobs. You know, I know they're not on the bigger side, but damn it all, I really personally feel like Alex Reynolds, and especially John Silver, could do more. Especially in this match, you could see Silver had his working boots on and was busting his ass to get this match over with everything he did and every bump he took. So this was actually really positive. I really actually even I enjoyed this match a lot. Actually, yeah, former guest of the show, John Silver, and if you can see what him and Reynolds did as the Beaver Boys and Beyond Wrestling, it's almost hard to see them as AEW top jobbers. Almost, I hate to say it, but. No, I'm I mean, I I'm mean, still uh, a huge fan of them, and they get their comedy over on being the elite, I hear. Yeah, they do. Yeah, John Silver plays off great with Brody Lee and everybody. Silver's definitely coming up like the star, but Reynolds is great, too. As a team, they're great. And on the Indies, I'll say this, Reynolds was a great deal. Like, people hated that motherfucker when he came out. So, you know, and that's what you wanted to hear, right? So I would say, again, good job in this match. This will be a positive thing. I was very impressed with these guys, if anything. If you want to talk a negative, like you said, this could have opened the car. But that's not a, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a compliment to these guys. They did great. Sarah Pentico and Janela, I'd say nothing necessarily that's stood right. out about this match. It was a fine enough pre-show match. Yeah. Could have been a good dark match, but to me, it really wasn't much of, I really wouldn't say much of that. Nothing that stood out, at least. Nothing bad, nothing good. It was just kind of there. It was what it was. It was a good pre-show match. It was fine for what it was. To kick off the show, the cinematic match, Britt Baker versus Big Swole, I really have no problems with this opening the show. I thought it was a good enough cinematic match. It had its comedy. It played off one of the bigger storylines they've had going for a while. It was hokey. However, a lot of these cinematic matches sometimes can be a little hokey. I didn't hate it as much as some other people did, but I didn't love it either. I'm not a huge fan of Swole. Nothing against her. I just, you know, I'm not. I think Britt Baker 
is very charismatic. I love her heel work. Reba plays her silly little part good. That being said, I'm not a big soul has charisma. People do get into it. But, you know, there's not really... It's funny, they could sweeten the crowd a little bit in this one, you can tell. But, I don't know. It just didn't really click overall for me. I would say it's small negative because I just really enjoyed the match. But it wasn't going to, like... It didn't sour me on the page or anything at this point. It was just, you know, to me it was just kind of like... Yeah, and something this pay-per-view seemed to do is give you a good match, then give you maybe a downer or a little bit of a break, and then the match after that was good. And the Bucks versus the Jurassic Express was next, and it's really kind of hard for that to be a bad match. Yeah, no, they did great. They had their working shoes on. The Bucks looked fantastic. I thought they helped get um, Jungle Boy over, who was kicking out of a lot of super kicks and stuff. He looked strong. Bucks showing a little bit of edge still, like they're mad over everything that's going on with Hangman. Yeah, no, I thought solid, good tag match. And again, this could have been a hell of an opener, too. So this was definitely uh, another thumbs up here. True. And now the next match, which I would have expected to be the opener for the show, but it was third in, is the Casino Battle Royale. And we're not going to break down wave by wave who came in. Uh, Some of the most notable things are Matt Seidel making his debut and then almost breaking his neck. That was the first of a couple horrific falls in a row on this show. One positive thing I will say, and then we're going to talk about another bump in this battle real But positive thing, Will Hobbs. Happy to see this guy get kind of a push. He performed great in here. He had a presence, and it looks like this guy might have came from wrestling on dark and maybe getting involved on Dynamite and being beat a little more. So happy for him. Yeah, he was big in APW out in California, and it's good to see him get featured in this battle royal in a like in a more prominent way. Yeah, and there was one, one other thing. Oh, yeah. So one other thing I want to talk about, too, is the Darby Allen ball. Putting him in the uh, body bag, filling up the thumb, thumbtacks. Kind of filling it up with thumbtacks. Yeah, correct. Everybody That's was eating place. that shit for the rest of the match. Yeah. Now, I understand he's done this before, but boy, that's a tough bump, man. I mean, you know, you can't see where you're landing. And I thought Cage, was, I mean, Cage's a pro, but I thought he was, and the execution wasn't the best. I didn't enjoy that. I'm glad Harvey's okay, but no, this is the most amount of sloppiness I've noticed in like a whole event for them. They've had their moments where sloppy things have come out, but like between the Matt Side album, then this body bag thumbtack spot, and I mean, I I'm not a wrestler, so I'm not criticizing them for that, but it's just these little things throughout the show that I was like, all right, I'm tired, and this shit's going on. Like, what's gonna happen next? And we come to Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara and holy shit <laughs> I will say this Archer wasn't a bad guy to win alright moving on now let's talk about this yes I was I was grabbing food actually and I was looking away and then I heard Matt hit his head <laughs> and I'm watching Matt on the ground and I see he's like got a blank look on his face you came Matt back for like the aftermath right Right, like right, right, right after, right after he went through the table and then hit his head. Like yep. I literally came right. I watched, started watching like right after. Now, how weird was it to come back in the room and have nothing going on on the TV for several minutes? Well, what's weird was too is you could see he was trying to get up. He didn't have his legs about him, and you start wondering like, is this part of the match? What the fuck is happening? You see Aubrey doesn't know what he knows what to do. He he stops the match, which we understand later. Tony kind of told her, and I'm not criticizing Aubrey, that's a situation like you don't know what they're going to do sometimes. At the end of the day, she did call it, whether it was to the Tony or not, and 
good on her. That was that was good at that point, right? Right? We they took a bad bump. And we need to stop this mess. We need to do that. <laughs> no, it continued from there. And I mean, yeah. there's been a lot of news this weekend about should they have done it. Like, this is the stuff that the WWE gets criticized for. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah, actually, Mike Flynn Mike said that. He said, you know, if WWE had done this, people would have riot. But it would not have been, you know, acceptable. I think even fans that are fans of AEW right now are a little upset over this. And. I don't know, like, they, I feel like the match probably should have been stopped, but if... Oh, yeah. It, he should have definitely been climbing the scaffold. Yeah. <laughs> but knowing Hardy, it's almost like, or just knowing wrestlers in general, how they want to push through and make things happen, I think it'll open a bigger discussion on when something should, like, somebody should step in and make a decision to stop that and not yeah, let it go weird. forward. It's a weird thing. I've heard a lot of back and forth about it. Like, this happens in the UFC, which obviously is a combat sport, where a doctor will come in or they'll ask him sometimes, are you good to go? And the fighter and even the pro wrestler will almost say, yep. <laughs> you know? And it's like, the doctor, which I guess was the concussion, concussion protocol, was basically Dr. Samson going, you feel good to go? You know, he might have asked him what day it was or whatever. And, yep. Okay, fine, let him go. Yeah, because in fighting, isn't it your like ability to defend yourself that it's really the cutoff right. point for when the match gets stopped? Right. And now, granted, fighting is more dangerous, yes. But to counterpoint that, in the, you don't try to climb the scaffold after that either. <laughs> no, exactly. And I mean, yeah. if if he's barely able to stand up after that, I can't see how you'd give him 10 minutes and then let this continue and go up a scaffold. But the decisions that were made were made. I think a lot of fans felt negative about it. So we'll see how it is going forward. I think despite people's outrage, though, they will still watch AEW and stand behind the product. Oh, I think so. I think so. This is not a good night. Stop this one up as a loss. But that doesn't mean you can't come back and you can't learn from it either. No. Hikaru Shida versus Thunder Rosa was the next match. And I would say, I mean, it was the last match I saw. But it's arguably the best match I saw on the night. And it just had that weird spot of coming right after Hardy. I don't know if that affected my viewing of it. I think it was the only reason I stayed one more match because I was like, ooh, ladies match. I've been waiting for this. And I think yeah. Thunder Rosa had a good showing. Hikaru Shida, she defended that championship. May She may be the least interesting champion they've had yet, but I think Thunder Rosa really built her up with this match and gave her you know, kind of something to build on. This was kind of the best match they could have had for the NW, uh, for the women's title, having the NWA Women's Champion game in. I was well booked. I enjoyed the match. At the end of the day, you know, unfortunately, this was another thing. I didn't think it was a match, like, of the night. It wasn't, like, a crazy, like, blow-away match, but it was solid. And I think the problem with this show was we had a lot of negative things, and we had solid things. We didn't have, like, that one, like, back-end revolution where we had the Bucks versus you know, Omega and the page, and they tore it up. We just, we didn't have that to kind of balance out everything. We haven't made one blow-away match. This pay-per-view could have been probably saved. And again, solid effort by the ladies. I'll give it a slight thumbs up, but it's not like, again, like, you know, yeah. super memorable. Now, I didn't see the rest of the card, so we had the uh, eight-man uh, tag match next. Okay. Actually, solid match. The crowd seemed to be into it. What was interesting about this was at basically towards the end, Brody Lee 
had set up the pin on, I it was Marshall or Dustin. But basically, they were down. I think it was, it was Dustin. Because at, at the end of it, Dustin got the pin. But Brody was setting Cabana up to steal the pin. And Cabana decided to go for a moonsault. He missed. Gold up. Dustin Rhodes, rather, gets the pin. And Brody, for the first time, shows anger at Cabana. He's pushing him. He's like, what the hell? I had him. And he's yelling at him like he would yell at the other dark one. So you kind of continue that storyline. Well, it's even better, and that's the kind of highlight for me, is Dustin in the back that they tell him that, you know, like he's done a promo, we're going to do this for Cody, and we're not done, and it feels good to get a win. And then they tell him, well, we just been informed by Tony Khan, you're fighting Brody Lee for the TNT title this Wednesday. And Dustin's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm fighting for a title. He's so believable. He's got the fire passing and promo and saying, hey, you know, Brody, I'm coming for you. Hell, coming with me. So be ready, pal. And it's like, it made me like, okay, I want to see that match. This was actually the pay-per-view highlight for me. Like, I bought into Dustin, and I was like, awesome. But I hope we get that. I don't know if they will, but it made me like, I don't root for this guy. Yeah, and it's good to see that the Dark Order has really come together as a concept because they've been pushing that the whole time through this. Yeah through the creation of this company and it didn't really hit till i'd say brody lee got there and now there i just think it's to another level next match is got to be my moment of the night even though i didn't see it it's ftr winning the tag titles from omega and page i'm gonna show you something here i want to uh, get this from my boy mike flynn i think i have it yes i do this is good radio right here. You want to, uh, <laughs> you want to have everybody uh, waiting while you do this here. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Hold up, everybody. Hold the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, give me a laugh track. I love it. Sweetening with the... We got to sweeten our crowd noise in the empty arena. Let me see what this button does. I don't even know what the fuck is green. Oh, sad trumpet. That has got to get used more often. Trumpet. Uh, this whole show has not been good. Battle Royal was bad. It was not good. Went too long. Tag title match. Way too long with no real crowd. And I think he had added something that basically that, you know, he like. oh, I love SCR, but they don't seem to be clicking in AEW with this style. That's what my plan. I'm not going to 100% agree with what he's saying there. I love to make FDR. Obviously, he does too. He doesn't feel like they've clicked in his own words. However, I will say this. You know, when they're talking about their time on the main roster and currently what they're doing now, there still has not been a match with FDR that has rivaled the matches they had with American Alpha and DIY. Those matches were so stellar, so great for tag team wrestling. We haven't seen anything like that yet. I love the FDR package. I think they're solid, but we just haven't had that great moment. We thought this would have been it, and it was nice to see them at the tag zone. However, with the crowd being kind of dead for whatever reason, it just didn't seem like as good as it could have been. And I'm happy they got the belt, but I can't wait to see what the storyline is For those other matches, though, there was another great team in the ring with them making that happen. Is there another team in AEW that's up to the level of an American Alpha or a Gargano and Ciampa? The Bucks. I think that's true. We still need that match. And that's what we're building up to. And I mean, I wouldn't fault 
I wouldn't fault FTR for the match. I would almost fault the division you have around them. There are a lot of good teams, but there are a lot of good teams with a flippy, more acrobatic style. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but FTR, they just have a whole different style. They pattern themselves after Southern Wrestling, and that's not necessarily going to gel with every team. So I think that's kind of what's hurting them in AEW. Here's the thing. And would these matches be more dynamic in front of a hot crowd than they would move guaranteed ads if we could have crowds? That's true. Maybe that's why they're holding on, holding out on FTR versus the Bucks till they can get a more full stadium and get the reaction that that match deserves, given how long I, it's been built up. I do want to add this before we go on to the next match, too. It was interesting to see the aftermath where basically Omega had accidentally need Hangman in the face. Hangman ends up taking the pin, but Omega is pissed off at Hangman now. And Hangman goes for the embrace. Kenny looks like he's going to hit him with parts of the table. Doesn't hit him, but then Hangman goes to embrace him, and Kenny just turns away and lets him fall on the ground. Afterwards, Kenny's leaving. The Bucks are like, Kenny, what are we doing? And he's like, I'm not sticking around here. You guys can follow me or not. And the Bucks don't follow him, but you're left with just like wondering what's going on. It's so funny because Hangman kind of trips the Bucks so it's kind of the heel move, but now here's Kenny kind of being the heel. There's a lot of shades of gray with this. It's very interesting, but I also, I'm also at the point now, as much as I love this kind of this story, I do kind of want to see it conclude, and I want to know who's the baby face heel. Yeah, and they, I mean, they are. that's a good storyline that they are running throughout the company. And another storyline that I think is up there is Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. And I'm not going to say I was surprised to hear that Cassidy won because, I mean, Jericho is just at a different level of his career. And it almost seems like he wants to take that chance to make the next yeah. guy. And I mean, Cassidy has been over on the independence for a while. I don't think many people in the mainstream are necessarily fans yet or necessarily get it yet. Those that do love it, but those that don't hate it. And I think this match with Jericho is going to go a step in making him more legitimate. I thought that this had the crowd uh, reaction of the night. The crowd that was there seemed very as loud as they could be and were really into this. It wasn't a blow away match or anything. I mean, it's kind of hard to do that in this kind of gimmicky match, but I enjoyed it, actually. This one I didn't mind. I know I don't think Mike was a fan of this. I don't think he liked it. But, I mean, it's kind of a weird match. Like, you know, like you're winning with getting brought. So, it really kind of depends on your taste. I didn't hate this one. I actually thought this was fine. Yeah, I'll give it a slight thumbs up. This one, this match, I actually kind of like Final match of the night, Moxley versus MJF. I was almost sure MJF was going to win the title. It just seemed like he was having such a meteoric rise. They've been like they haven't oversaturated him on TV. His run in particular up to this event was spectacular on TV. Did you think this match still helped him even though he didn't win the title? Uh yeah, it definitely. I mean, he's so good. This match is doing it to hurt him. Uh, it was a good showcase for him. I thought he could have won the belt as well. I think he's such a hot character. However, once Lance Archer won the Casino Battle Royal. I didn't really see them booking Archer MJF kind of anytime soon, but I had my feelings that Mox was going to probably walk out with the belt. They did tease this essentially with Warlord again. Yeah, we'll see where everything goes. I love MJF. Hopefully this means down the road when he challenges for the belt again, and I believe he will. Then they'll put the strap on him because I think he's the kind of guy and the kind of heel that can really turn uh, this company around and get him even like more on a hot streak. 
You know, not that they're, they're doing it right now, but I'm saying like, everybody has that kind of next level performer. So this event, I mean, a lot of people came out of it disappointed. It had its bright spots, but it also kind of showed a couple glaring weaknesses. Not weaknesses, but a kind of like a couple big negatives on AEW. Obviously, it's not going to affect whether you're going to watch this week, but how do you feel some of these things will be addressed on Dynamite, or will they even be addressed? First off, one bad show doesn't kill a company. We know that, so they'll be fine. If it did, WWE would have been done in what, 2016, 2017? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So one bad show don't kill nobody. That being said, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if this gets addressed at all. And they, they usually come out and address things a lot of times, but I don't really know where you go from here. The hardy stuff's already done. I think it's best just to move on, learn from it. There was the other factor that got a little negative attention. My boy, Jim Ross, who I love, made a comment about Anna Jay. There was like a, he thought there might have been a wardrobe malfunction, and he made a comment. He goes, oh, did you have a wardrobe? Like, What's going on over there? Or is that my wishful thinking? And then after her, she apologized. We also told people, you know, it was a joke. It was poor taste. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. We're also lighten up. Uh, yeah, we, we hear him do Bluetooth fucking commercials every week. Like, uh, it's kind of known that Jim Ross is not necessarily a dirty old man, but he's getting there. It's, uh, he's from another era. But here's the thing. The New York Post picked up this story. So that's why that might be something we have to look out for. Hopefully, I don't want to see JR go... You know, under the rug because he made one little ill-time comment. I know people that don't like Jim will probably throw a bunch of other comments in the face, but I still love Jim. I think he contributes great to the show. They better not well, go off, go after fucking JRS BBQ. I mean, we gotta have that honey mustard out there. His mama's signature ketchup. Don't don't attack our spice rack, fellas. <laughs> yeah, we a little beat. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens in the future. Overall. Not the best show, but uh, I'm a positive person. Uh, hell, I still watch WWE events. That's how positive I am. So <laughs> I'm definitely still believing in AEW. I'm pulling for him. Well, let's say yeah, somebody came up to you stuff. and said, like, I haven't bought the pay-per-view yet. Do you think I should buy it? Would you recommend them buying it? Or would you say save your money for the next show or something like that? Yeah, I would say save your money for the next show. I would have time to buy this one. No. Okay, I mean, that's all you really need to know about it. And yeah. we're not dumping on AEW. This is just the first time we've been disappointed by them. So it's kind of a weird position to be. I mean, I still have high hopes for them. I'd love yeah. to see Matt Seidel continue with the company, but that was a rough bump. Both yeah. him and Matt Hardy, like, are these bumps that could end their careers? You know, or I make them... I don't think them... Seidel. You don't yeah, think Seidel's so? Fine. Yeah, actually, Randy, I was still one of the... Say, he asked us if we thought Matt Hardy should retire. He thinks Matt should. He's beat up. I think they're still out. I think Matt's got some years left. And this wasn't a great thing to happen to him. But if he passed concussion protocol now, a couple of days later after going to the hospital, which it appears he has, then I say he should be good to go still at some point. I don't know. That's actually pretty observant of Randy because I'm a Matt Hardy fan, but how many of these bad bumps does he take? You know, how beat up is he in general? Like, how many big bumps does he have left in him? Right. I mean, that's fair. I, I don't think he needs to retire at this point. But uh, if you're a huge Matt Hardy fan and he's had a great career, 
this wouldn't be a bad time for him to go out either. I'm not saying, you know what I mean? Like, if he went out tomorrow, I wouldn't be disappointed. If he had, what if he had another bad incident like this? Would that change your mind? Or is it kind of, he's just kind of a victim of circumstance? Because when you take these big risks, there are those potential factors that could hurt you. Well, let me ask you this. What if John Moxley, John Moxley took a bad bump like this? I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. Why are we judging this on Arsenal with the DLC bump? Yeah, just from his accumulated bumps over the years, and if you're talking about him possibly being too old for the game, and like, I mean, shit, would you wanna, would you wanna go off like almost like a cherry picker type thing and take a back bump through a table and bump your head on the ground? Like, I mean, granted, he's an athlete, but like that would put me out of work for a little bit. Yeah. How about this? I would say it is in Matt Hardy's best interest to maybe rethink his style as he continues his career, if he's going to continue his career. Yeah, it's not necessarily a Daniel Bryan thing where it's, like, life-threatening, but almost like he's accelerating that push to the line of where it could be life-threatening, depending on the bumps he takes. Well, that was AEW. It was... Oh, what the fuck was that? That was not the button I wanted. All right. It, the only thing we got to say about AEW All Out was <laughs> we're going to be getting so much more out of this soundboard when I figure out what these fucking buttons do. But, guys, thanks for joining us for the review this week, and we will talk to you again next week. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave with AJ Strange Brew. And we are about to kick off Dave versus AJ. And as usual, AJ's got no idea what the topics are going to be. Absolute surprise. What people don't know is that the last time me and AJ talked and we recorded one of these, he said to me, you should pick some subjects a little more polarizing. So So I did that. Now, I didn't think it all the way through. But I picked a topic really in mind because the guy on the topic would be very polarizing to AJ. The (laughs) ultimate warrior. Oh, God. Shit fest. So I actually, as I sent this topic out, the topic is who had the better career, ultimate warrior or Bill Goldberg? Wow. So I thought to myself, this ought to be polarizing, get the feedback. In my mind, before I even sent this out, I'm kind of leaning towards Goldberg because I'm like, uh, different era. But I'm like, you know, let me just see what people get back to me. Gotta be honest, AJ. The results are in. It wasn't really much feedback. I'm just going to tell you, we're going to talk about this. It's going to be more of a discussion today. It was undefeated. Goldberg all around. Everybody picked him. Plus two years left to his contract. I thought about it afterwards, too. Like, he's still doing stuff, too. No, he came out today. There was an interview with him today, and he talked about the fact that he has two matches a year under a contract mm. with the WWE, and he's all signed all the way through to 2023. He's had two world title runs since coming back in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> he's beaten Brock Lesnar and The Fiend. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the biggest undefeated, that storyline of the undefeated streak, one of the biggest stories in the history of wrestling. Yeah. I so, mean, now, granted, yes. going by Dave's usual customary platform as to who wins, the mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior did wrestle Hulk Hogan 
Wait a minute. Bill Goldberg wrestled Hogan too on Monday Nitro with a oh, huge. Well, that's the same as WrestleMania, sure. Well, you know, at that time period, I mean, the, the ratings and everything like that. I mean, we're talking about an era where I don't know if we'll ever duplicate the success. I Actually, that the highest rated show uh, Nitro. Uh, Wrestling Nitro all time. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, a funny sidebar. I saw this comment and quote today. You know, that Attitude Era. Love it or hate it. It probably didn't have the best wrestling looking back at all. You know, a lot of great storylines, great brawling, but not necessarily pure wrestling. But I think Catch is Catch can. I very much think Goldberg Hogan. Yes. <laughs> so, I caught this quote today, and I thought it was so unfair. I love MJF, but Dave Meltzer had quoted... Uh, it said, this kid is just like The Rock was when he started. He said that basically that he's on fire. Rock had people to help him get into business. And in another five years, this good guy could be sitting trailblazing just like The Rock did. And I thought to myself, let's not compare anybody to the motherfucking Rock. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I love MJF. And I say he has traits of Rowdy Piper. I'm not telling you he's going to set the business on four like 19... 19- 84 Rowdy Piper. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be on fire like that. I mean, maybe, but I wouldn't say that. It's well, not well, fair. Here's the problem. How many times for 30 years did we hear, hey, this kid's the next Ric Flair? Oh, sure. They tried to do it to Austin. Austin, yeah, Michaels. Michaels. You name it. Uh, yeah. They put the tag on anybody that was hot mm-hmm. or anybody that Flair wrestled. Hey, Flair's making this guy. He's going to be the next Ric Flair. Yeah. It's not fair to put that moniker on anyone. Same thing with The Rock. And with The Rock, not only are you putting the wrestling moniker on him, but the guy's the freaking biggest box office draw in movie history also now. So it's absolutely terrifying. I'm going to get back to this time period, though. I'm also going to read one of the people who wrote in who really put it over the top for me that I decided that this was going to be more of a discussion. AJ... I think you're going to really like Scott. (laughs) This was his reply. Oof, you know how much I dislike Warrior, but I'll try to be fair unlike Warrior. I'm actually going to try. Warrior had to look and, well, that was about it. (laughs) He He was a big draw during his IC run on house shows. But once he won the world title, it was downhill fast from there. He was a draw for a longer period of time and held the belt longer, even if no one remembers his title run. At the peak, Goldberg was the bigger draw. To me, after WrestleMania six, it felt like Hogan was being replaced by a one-dimensional cartoon character, while Goldberg beating Hogan felt like a legitimate, unstoppable badass was taking over the business. I was sad when Warrior became the champion because he still felt less than Hogan at that time, but I was losing my shit when Goldberg pinged Hogan on TV, even though at that point I knew the outcome was predetermined. That's how believable he felt. I think what hurt Warrior the most was he was all physique, Entrance intensity, intensity, distrucity, <laughs> and of course the fact he's a piece of shit. <laughs> While Goldberg, <laughs> as limited as his skills were, was mostly the victim of garbage booking or the company just through the bookers while it was going under. Warrior was just some juice head who couldn't cut a promo in English and dressed like a girl's bicycle. He should have been the one to drop the title from getting tased since the one thing he was good at was shaking all the damn time. Goldberg's promos got old fast because they were typically just two words. But that was all he needed to say. 
ultimately, that's the reason I'm giving Goldberg, <clears throat> giving it to Goldberg, because he wasn't the one who cut all those hateful promos after his in-ring career ended. Like wishing Bobby Heenan would die from cancer. I actually didn't know Warrior said that. Well, I'm glad Warrior didn't live long enough to see Heenan die from cancer. I hope Warrior is endlessly convulsing somewhere, puking while black shit runs down his forehead in hell. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. <laughs> I agree with Scott. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I will quote one more thing, and I'll let you have your way. Lance Storm had this to say, ironically, as I was sending this out. A word of caution to anyone who decides to hate or love a wrestler based on what you've heard others say. Go watch the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD, then his Hall of Fame induction. People lie and opinions change. Don't judge them too harshly if you've never met them. Lance is a better person probably than most of us. AJ, go ahead with your comments. All right, well, I disagree with Lance. Um, <laughs> you never did like him. <laughs> on this subject, uh, in yeah. general, I absolutely love Lance. You do, I know you do. But, however, <laughs> I'm going to deep dive into Warrior for the first time. Usually I, I do something similar to what Scott did. I uh, He polarizes me greatly. I cannot stand the ultimate Warrior. Hmm. But we'll go into his wrestling career here, and I'm going to try to be as professional as possible here. Take us through, because you didn't hate the initial time you saw Warrior. Tell us about him. I didn't. The first time I saw the Warrior was actually as the Dingo Warrior in Texas in World Class Championship Wrestling. And at that point, he was actually a heel with Rick Rude. And similar to what happened in the WWE when he was on the undercard, and working with a mouthpiece and having somebody speak for him, he they were able to cover up his shortcomings. When he got to the WWE, they continued to cover up his shortcomings because with the Intercontinental Championship, he worked with people once again, this time wrestling against Rick Rude, and he was working with guys in short matches who could cover up and make him look better. Similar. Now, however. Similar to Goldberg, though. But, well, no, and, and that, that is very similar. And that part. And what, but here's the thing about Warrior: the way you get booked as a world champion is eventually you, as a world champion, have to carry others. Right. And eventually, you have to wrestle longer matches. Once the Warrior started out to wrestle longer matches, you could start to see that his cardio wasn't quite mm. what his physical outpouring would appear to be. Yeah. And now looking back, some of that could have been heart problems showing up <laughs> early, to be honest with you. Mm. But he would get blown up in anything over a four-minute match. Yep. Now, Goldberg's a little bit different because Goldberg's shortcoming wasn't that he was getting blown up in matches. Mm-hmm. It was just that coming from the power plant, having a limited wrestling background, he didn't have the years that Warrior had put in beforehand warrior wrestled in california he then went to mid-south wrestled in uwf Mm -hmm. he wrestled in texas by all means he had years of chances of getting experience goldberg went into the power plant was there for about a year and that was wrestling hulk hogan right (laughs) (laughs) you know that they have a lot more in common than i realized though like as you're talking like both were basically brought up kind of the same way, but you're right. Warrior had more of a chance to get better, but they were pushed in a similar fashion. Well, now look at the difference also. They both hurt people. <laughs> well, Ultimate Warrior, though, never evolved. 
Right. Goldberg, in recent years, as we've seen him as a 50-something-year-old man, I think he's 53 now, he actually has evolved and is better than he was in years prior. Ultimate Warrior, you never saw an evolution at all. Yeah, I mean, maybe not so much in the in-ring, but I was going to say the one thing I think that really... Uh difference between the two is Goldberg has really evolved in his promos. Yes. And, and, and even in the ring, I know people will look at the match that he had with Taker and go, well, he struggled in that match. The guy knocked his ass out in the middle of the match. Wow, yeah. I wouldn't put that in it. You know what, though? I will say this. He's Goldberg has learned what he does well, and he sticks to what he does well. Exactly. And his matches are still about five minutes long. Which is what it should be. Yeah. 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 And and part of wrestling is that Hulk Hogan in his heyday, even though he could put on a long match, he knew what he did well, what to focus on, what the fans wanted, and gave that to the fans. He, he knew that he could extend the match by using what we call rest holds. <laughs> but, but Work a hold, would, brother. <laughs> yeah, but what he would do is he would let the monsters get their heat on them, mm-hmm. and then it would stage the big comeback where he would finally get his heat back and he could extend that as far as into like a 17 minute match and still get a good match out of it. Warrior never let anybody get heat on him. Yeah, I would say the biggest difference between these two, at least as performers go, is that Goldberg was a uh, more Goldberg's one of the most believable guys ever in the sport. To be fair, like Goldberg, yeah, whereas had, nobody I think finds the Warrior believable. Like Scott said, he was more of a giant cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever been like, "Wow, wouldn't want to get in a shoot with that guy." Right. Whereas and Goldberg is a uh, looks and is a legitimate badass. Mm-hmm. And I have to say too, as time went on, Goldberg had the better promo too, which wasn't oh, hard. Because we promised polarizing, I do want to put this out there because I think I've been more than fair to the Ultimate Warrior during this. <laughs> yes. Similar to what Scott said, he was a bigot. Yeah. He was a piece of shit. <laughs> and he was so self-righteous that it literally made me sick to my absolute stomach. <laughs> so I agree with Scott wholeheartedly like that. He did uh, love his kids. <laughs> no, no. By all means, from what we hear, he was a good father, good husband. That's great. Yeah. And he might have got... Yeah. However, as an all-around human being, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have no room for the Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. anywhere. Well, you know what? I don't think there's a lot else to be said on this subject this week. I did enjoy the war as a kid. Looking back, clearly I don't watch a lot of Ultimate Warrior matches anymore. I was a child. <laughs> hey, similar to the Undertaker's trying to bury the Ultimate Warrior, <laughs> I wish Vince would have done it sooner. <laughs> well, on that note, I think you had a little Undertaker technical difficulties there for a second. I don't know if Undertaker's in your house, but I'd watch out. All right, folks, that's going to be it for this week. Goldberg was the clear winner. We'll be back next week with some more of AJ versus Dave. Hello, everybody. It's former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. This is Dave with AJ, and we have a true legend today, a guy who's competed in WWE, ECW, and all over, Al Snow. Actually, this guy also might be one of the only guys to get his doll banned from Walmart, Al. (laughs) I actually was reminded about this the other day. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I'm still on the list of 
I believe it's 20, 27 things that Walmart refuses to sell as it is endangerment to society. And <laughs> I'm number five on that list. I was beat out by uh, pregnant Barbie. Uh, she's number one. That's not an easy I, list to crack yeah. into. No, it's not. You know, it's not. And, you know, when you really think about it, I mean, you can still, I believe, go find an assault rifle and ammunition <laughs> to dismember your, you know, victim if you want. But God help you if you get my action figure. That will be a training manual for future spouse abusers. Oh, my God. That's tremendous. I forgot all about that. Al, on a personal note, I want to actually thank you for coming up with the collar and elbow clothing line. I worked for 10 years, I was trained by Adrian Street, and I'm 6'3 and about 280 pounds, and to have clothing that I can wear that is comfortable and still fashionable at the same time, I appreciate that, so thank you for that. Oh, thank you, I, you know, I owe a lot of that to my partner Rod and, and really our designer, Dean Whitaker, he's, he's the real, he's the magic in the sauce, he's amazing. He, He's so great at, you know, coming up with designs that kind of, if you're a wrestling fan, you get it. And if you're not a wrestling fan, you just go, oh, that's cool. I really like that. And you don't even, you know, you don't know what it's about or anything. You were trained by a gentleman named Jim Lancaster. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yes. What was his background? I, I don't know much about Jim. Uh, Jim had started in the 70s and was pretty much a journeyman wrestler. You know, he pretty worked all the territories. He worked pretty much in the... Uh, mid-card and when I met him in 81 he was just getting out of off the road full-time and was you know trying to start running his own shows and he uh wanted to get his own crew of guys that he could rely on and kind of you know make sure that they were where they needed to be because what motivated him to do that was he was running a show and Spike Huber who was Dick the Bruiser's son-in-law was pretty popular in the Midwest at the time it was a pretty big baby face Jim had promoted him for a show, and then Dick pulled him at the last second without giving Jim the heads up, and then was sending him to St. Louis. And, you know, Jim got upset about that and decided he'd just get his own crew of guys he could control and do something with himself. So when I had first met Jim, I, you know, I tried to convince him to train me, and he wouldn't agree to do it. He had no interest, and then that's what changed, and that's how I was able to finally convince someone to train me, and, and that was where it began. Did wow. you did you go to the camp with Ole and Gene before or after that? Uh, before I went down for uh, wasn't a camp. It was a tryout. They called it down in Charlotte, which was basically just you know where they were going to blow guys up and stretch them, and and then you know if one guy would you know if anybody would survive, they would take them and you know see what they could do with them. And it was funny. Uh, years later, I was riding with Sandy Scott in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, Sandy and I developed a really close relationship. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I told him the story about going down there, and there was one guy, and there was a young black guy that he had only had taken an interest in. He was the only guy that really kind of made it, and he had set him aside. And I was talking to Sandy, and Sandy brought up the fact that he remembered seeing only bring this kid into the local YMCA because you gotta understand back then, the only place you really worked out or trained was the YMCA. You know, wrestlers didn't have schools like there's there wasn't the proliferation of schools like there are now because the business was so closed. So, you know, they would bring guys into the y, local YMCA, and I guess he lasted maybe two or three workouts, and then he never showed back up again after that. Was it these early experiences? Is that what drove you to what you do today, which is run um, arguably one of the best training facilities in the U.S. in OVW? You know. I guess it's just my love for the wrestling business that's what's 
drove me to, you know, want to pass it on and try to pass on the, the real essence of the art of professional wrestling. I think it's kind of being lost, like I said, with the proliferation of wrestling schools and the, the fact that these days anybody can basically just rent a building and, you know, regardless of their amount of experience, they can, and what type, that's another thing, what type of experience, you know, they can proclaim that they're a trainer and, you know, these young kids who have aspirations and hopes, you know, that someday they can become a, a superstar. You know, they they uh, come running and want to be trained. They're basically brought into a ring and in about a matter of a week or two, they're taught how to, how to what we call take a bump, which they think is about how to land when it's really out of control yourself physically. And then they're taught to hit the ropes and, you know, a couple wrestling moves and some spots and then maybe a month later they're in their first match. And, you know, it's it's unfair to these prospective athletes, these young men and women, I feel, because they're not really being taught or have an understanding of what they're being taught or why they should, they should understand it or know it to really have a chance at being successful. You know, and I mean really, truly successful. You know, when you, you go to a place, a platform like WWE, you have such an incredible opportunity, regardless of what the popular conception is when you walk out in that ring that is 100% on you to make the most of that opportunity that every time you go to that ring it's an opportunity and you know you can become the thing that people are tuning in every week to see you can become the thing that people are buying a ticket to watch and there's nothing anybody can do to stop that and there's nothing anybody can do to help you do it either you've got to you've got to be willing and be able to do it and understand how to do it on your own now Al, i'm kind of curious uh, all your years in wrestling and now uh, training is there something you have a, a preference to training or uh, performing I don't really have, a, I, you know, of course I love to perform. I mean, there's nothing, no bigger rush in the world than to go out there and be in front of an audience and connect with them, you know, emotionally and, and get them to elicit a response and a reaction and tell a story and have them really emotionally connected and be involved in it. There's nothing like that. But it's very rewarding to, you know, train these young men and women, let them benefit from where you make your mistakes and, you know, watch them go on and succeed. It's a thrill. And I tried to explain to them, every person that I train, and I, you know, I've been pretty prolific as far as training. I mean, I've, I have a lot of people that have went on to have very successful careers that I've trained. And I tell them all that, you know, their success is my success. You know, I'm never gonna lie to them, never gonna mislead them. I'm never going to, you know, I'm always going to be honest with them. I'm gonna set standards for them because when I was brought into the wrestling business, the people that brought you in were held personally accountable for everything you did. You know, to this day, some of the old timers, if they hear this interview and they don't like something that I said, they'll call Jim Lancaster and then Jim Lancaster's gonna call me. Huh. And I'm gonna to have to explain because I'm a reflection on him. As long as I'm in this business, I'm a reflection on him. And his professional accomplishments. And, and, you know, back in the day, if you screwed up and you hurt business, well, then Jim would get blackballed. You know, he didn't get booked anymore because the heat would go on him because they would assume it's his responsibility to make sure that I didn't screw up like that. So I still hold that attitude to this day that these people are very much a representation of me and that they definitely unquestionably carry my reputation around with them. And so I'm going to do absolutely everything I can, even sometimes in spite of them, to ensure that they have the best possible chance to succeed, no matter what the degree is, and be a, a professional representation in the wrestling business. 
Uh, that's interesting. I think I actually did hear uh, one of the wrestlers one time said, uh, might have been Nash or someone that it was a Jody Hamilton guy, and it, uh, that actually opened some doors for him. They're like, oh no, no, he know he's polite. He knows the protocol. He's a Jody Hamilton guy. So that's right. Yeah, that'll open doors for you. And if and if it, and if you put out enough bad guys, it'll close doors too. Right. And I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm not gonna let people use my name. And then it close it start closing doors because of them being irresponsible, you know. So now uh, and to that end, that's why you know we. I apologize, but that to to that end, that's why we, you know, we've taken great time and effort and expense. Took us, it's taken us over a year to get accreditation by the you know state of Kentucky, their the uh, proprietary education office, as an actual accredited trade school. Oh you wow. Know? It was, it, it's an effort, you know, we're the first and only one in the world. And, wow. you know, that was all done so that we could not just teach these young men and women skills in the ring, but to teach them skills backstage too, so that it would give them even a better understanding of what it is they're doing in the ring and be better performers, but also to give them more assets uh, within the wrestling business and entertainment business and the broadcasting business to be able to, when their in-ring careers come to an end, to be able to pursue something else and have opportunities outside of the ring. Al, I'm sorry to interrupt. Now, like an old-timer sure. like myself, I'm uh, I'm not that old. I'm only 43, but someone who I'm obviously not going to return to the ring anytime soon, if I wanted to come down there and learn to do the backstage stuff, do you have programs set up where somebody can come and actually learn the backstage by itself? Yes, yes, they can come and learn that. They still participate in the in-ring classes. They just don't physically participate in the in-ring classes. What they do is they sit and they take notes. It's so that that way you have a better understanding of what it is we're really selling as a, in wrestling and how you go about doing that so that when you're backstage and you're either producing or you're directing or you're running a camera or you're doing lighting or you're doing writing, you have a feel, a sense an understanding of what the product is and how to best approach it and sell it so that it comes across and makes a complete picture. Kind of hard, if you've never driven a, you've never driven a car, you've never sat in a seat, you've never, been, you've never experienced that feeling, it's very hard for you to be a car salesman, successful car salesman. It's just that simple. You've never drank a beer. How are you going to go around and be a beer distributor? You know what I mean? It's, right. it's hard to sell an experience if you've never properly done it. Now, you can do it. There are lots of people today that do it, but they don't. There's a certain essence to it that you need to feel and understand to really, really get it across. And that way, the more you can grasp that, the more successful you are, even backstage. Plus, it's interesting, too, because like you're giving these guys training on everything, and if you think about it, like how many times... I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, obviously, but how many times has an announcer unexpectedly ended up being a part of an angle or something? Like, you're almost kind of preparing people for the unexpected, possibly, too, it seems sure. like. And there's nothing, and listen, everything is possible in wrestling. Every time, you know, that it's, it's a matter of the right thing at the right time for the right reason, and it could create a, a completely different opportunity that creates a completely different doorway for a, your career to expand exponentially. You know, or for you to fail miserably. You know, think of the wrestlers, especially in recent years, like even I myself, you know, myself and Taz made that transition to being commentators. And then think of all the, you know, Corey Graves and all these other ones that have made that transition into being commentators and now have careers doing that. 
you know, you walk in the door with those skills already in your back pocket, then when opportunities present themselves, you can capitalize on them and still have a career outside of the ring. So you're giving them the best tool that they could have, which is preparation. Yes, preparation and the benefit of having instructors who have actual experience. Because I've said this a hundred times, and I'll say it to uh, I'm blue in the face. Having an access to information does not equate to having knowledge over a subject. I hate to break it to all everyone that's on the internet, but you can access as much information as you want about any topic you want, and that does not make you an expert on it. Having information and then the commensurate amount of experience, even bad experience where you screwed up, gives you knowledge, gives you an understanding on a level that just acquiring the information through a book does not. Well, that's funny. Actually, I was saying to someone the other day, almost any job I've ever had in my life, too, when I was training to do something, I felt I've learned more through messing up a lot of times. Like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. And you learn more sometimes, too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, it's no different than when you're, you, know, you have kids and you tell the kid over and over again, don't touch the stove, it's hot, don't touch the stove, it's hot. And sometimes you got to let them touch the stove. It ain't going to kill them. So they can understand and have a relationship to the term, what is hot and what, what it means because of your warning, that it's now dangerous because it kind of stung. They hurt them. Al, that's excellent points. I think that anybody who's been in the business for any amount of times at this point realizes that there's no school out there that's actually better than the one that you're running. All you have to do is look at the athletes that have come out of it and look at your storied career to understand that. We were wondering if you had any stories from either early in your career or after your WWE run from when you worked on the indies for us. I got, I got plenty of stories. I mean, there's, always, there's always stories. I mean, good God. This business, that's, it got to a point that I got to where I started embracing the ridiculousness and the unusual and almost would be disappointed if I went to a booking and nothing happened. <laughs> ordinary. And I would be disappointed, you know? I went, I went out for one of the guys who's kind of like a protege of mine, Matt Yaden, who runs Rocky Mountain Pro, and he's, he's doing really well out there. And the first time I went out, I went out for like two two shows, and the first show I was like, you know, you guys do great. I mean, you run a professional thing, and, you know, I'm, I'm just really disappointed. And he goes, why? I go, because I don't have any stories. Like, you don't have any any you know eccentric or goofy people here and he goes ah don't worry i'll call make a call so he you know he calls this kid who shows up because he tells me that the kid believes that he's a ninja <laughs> and i'm and will tell you that he's you know trained as a ninja and all this kind of stuff and i said well i can't wait to have a conversation with this guy <laughs> so of course i immediately sit down and start talking to him and it doesn't, it takes a minute, but I'm listening to him tell my, his life story to me. And I suddenly realize, Hey, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. And he keeps talking and then it hits me. He's telling me the screenplay to a 1980s movie called American Ninja. Oh, <laughs> the entire screenplay is his life story. Oh, oh my God. And I'm like, this is fantastic. So later, I see him over there, and he's doing like katas, and he's he's opened the door. We, and this is a uh, hockey arena, so the walls are made of cinder blocks. So he's over there, and he's got the door open, and he's swinging his he's 
<laughs> he's doing like a, a karate chop at the door frame, the concrete block. And I'm like, watching him do it a couple times, I go, you can break concrete blocks with your hand? He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I've done it before. I go, really? He's like, yeah. I go, well, you gotta show me. I mean, come on, man, you gotta show me. So he lines up and he just, all of a sudden you just hear, he hits his hand and it he could tell it hurt. And he goes, I go, what happened? It didn't break. He goes, oh, I was not focused. I go, well, you got to focus, man. You got to pull yourself together and, you know, see if you can do it again. So this guy, listen, nobody ever should listen to me. So he, gets, he now really, he opens the door further and puts it, he steps back. Now he's going to really put some stank on it. Mm -hmm. And he's really, yeah, ah, I don't know how he's not hyperventilating while he's doing it because he's breathing so deep, you know, deeply. He finally lets go and you just hear this crack and his hand looks all misshapen, oh. the bottom two fingers, <laughs> and he just walks over real quick and picks up his phone and starts touching it, playing with it, but you can see the other two fingers are sticking out. He had literally broke his hand trying uh. to prove that he could. And I'm like, what happened? They didn't break. And he's like, oh, you know, sometimes, you know, I just can't focus. And I said, oh, I understand that. That happens all the time. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you broke the American ninja. <laughs> I didn't. He broke himself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Al, that's actually kind of an interesting segue for me because I love pro wrestling, but uh, I'm also uh, an MMA fan over the last few years, too. A buddy of mine was telling me that you actually uh, talked about doing some underground fighting uh, in your book, and I was just wondering how that came about. And, like, do you have some, uh, a particular martial arts experience that you know? And I trained in jiu-jitsu and I trained in kempo karate and, you know, plus I've got about three or four other belts that I bought at JCPenney's. So <laughs> they mean nothing. <laughs> Unless you keep up with the training, it's not like, you know, it's any other skill. But, uh, you know, I'm not real proud of it, but I had, at the time I had opened up my school in Ohio and was taking a ring down to every Monday night. This bar would run like a tough man contest. So they would, I'd bring my ring down there. I'd set it up by myself and I'd hang out. One of the bar owners also ran basically like garage fights and, you know, found out he was a wrestler and was like, hey, would you like to make some extra money? And explained it to me. And so, you know, the first night I went and I basically was, had done some boxing, but not a lot. And, you know, didn't fare too well. Took a lot of punches. <laughs> Lost that one. And then it just so happened that where I had my wrestling school in the front of the building was an old boxing gym. And a very old trainer named Mr. Akers was a wonderful old guy. He, uh, and a guy by the name of Mr. Bazell, who was used to, he would spar with Muhammad Ali. They were trainers up there. And so I went up and I would, you know, when, during the day when I didn't have anybody in the wrestling school, I would go up and spend time with them. And they started showing me how to slip punches and things like that. And so, the next time I, you know, kind of did, you know, did a little better, not getting hit as much, hitting more. And then I thought, well, screw this. And I just duck under and I dropped behind the guy and, you know, choked him out. That took place in an uproar because, you know, I didn't really realize there were rules, but apparently I thought there were no rules. But then it was, people were hot, but they were also excited. And it was something different because at that time, you know, MMA wasn't a big thing. And as a result, they wanted me to come back. So I'd done a couple more of those kinds of things. And it went on for a few fights. And then a couple brothers got upset and confronted me at the bar one night. And we got into a, a situation. And that didn't go well. And I was like, you know, enough of this. I'm done with it. So that's why I see in the 
you know, real fights suck. Uh, the work fights, you know, wrestling, it's so much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before uh, with some other interviews about creative seems to come up a lot. John Moxley had recently done an interview with Jericho where, you know, he had basically said he was very thankful for his time in WWE. And, but, you know, he talked about one of the main issues he had was with creative. You had a lot of different characters. I'm just curious, like, any, not to, no, we're not trying to make you bury anybody, but like, you know, creatively, what are some maybe things you didn't like or did like? Uh, the, only, the only issue I ever had was that nobody ever really spoke to me. Uh, nobody ever talked, and that was partly, and I admit to it, I talk about it in my book, that, you know, it was also my fault because I never asked questions. You know, I should have a lot of times in a lot of situations where instances came to them and go, hey, okay, what is it we're doing? Why are we doing this? What are you wanting out of it? Where, what direction are we going? Things like that. But I literally would show up at TV and I never knew what was happening. Nobody ever spoke to me. Nobody ever contacted me. You know, I remember doing some pre-tape with Hunter and Stephanie and Hunter alluding to, you know, this is an opportunity for a spot or something with a before a cage match with Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy was involved and... Marlena and and I'm thinking, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? I had I had no idea. And then I find out later, years later, there was a rumor that I was being considered for a spot in DX, and I'm like, nobody told me. <laughs> no, I had a thing where I showed up and they just, you know, you're gonna walk down, you know, with a Vince McMahon suit on and a his rubber mask on, you're gonna go to the ring, and I'm like, okay, you know, and Vince is gonna come out and ball shot you, and I'm like, all right, and you know, again. My fault, I should have stopped and went, hey, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? But nobody called me on the phone. Nobody discussed anything with me. You know, they just literally threw me in places and made, you know, and had me doing things. And, and again, I take the responsibility for not asking it, but, you know, everybody brings up characters and stuff that I did. But a large part of that was that they were trying to find a voice, a character, something you could describe me with that, we connect with the audience and you know like everybody does the avatar talks about the avatar and that was my fault you know if i knew then what i know now i could have utilized that and made that more successful but at that time i had spent 14 15 years as a heel and being a smart ass uh, chicken shit heel and now all of a sudden i'm thrust into a situation where I'm supposed to be a baby face but not you know carry a mask out but then put it on then wrestle with it then take it back off and that's only direction you're given, you know? And it's up to you then to make the most of that and create something out of it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's on 100% on you. And, and I know things have changed up there now where they are, have more of a direct hand. I think they overproduce the talent, but I know that's because they don't feel confident that the talent are understand what it is they're really out there to try to do. And I do understand that the reason they don't is because that's not being taught anymore. The talent are are now performing like, oh, I, you know, I just got to go out there and have a really good match. And that's that's not it. You've got to go have a really good match. You have to have a good, ma a good match that motivates people to want to see you again. And that's a different mindset. That's a different approach. You can have the greatest match in the history of wrestling. Nobody paid to see it. What does it matter? Hmm. You know? Or if you had, a, you had it in a building that seats 5,000 people, and let's say 5,000 people showed up to see that greatest match in the history of wrestling, and then next month you showed back up and only 800 people showed up, then how great was that wrestling match? Oh, exactly. The purpose, the sole reason, the absolute pure existence of a wrestler is to do one thing, and that is to use that time in the ring to motivate someone to leave their home 
the comfort, security, and safety of their home, drive to a building, pay money to park, to pay money to get in the building, to sit in a seat that you don't want to sit in. Let's face it, guys, you don't want to sit in those seats. They're the shits. Hmm. And you want to sit around people you don't want to sit around and pay for food you don't want to eat to watch that guy do his job. Oh, 100%, Al. And I can tell you that we were both fans going back, like we said, to Smoky Mountain. And to watch you explode the way you did coming out of the ECW arena and make the most out of a mannequin head, absolutely phenomenal. The way you connected with the audience, whether it was just, I don't know, you, you just had that connection with people that made all of us get up on our feet and cheer. So you definitely did. Thank you. Yeah, so you definitely put our asses in the seats, I can tell you that. Well, it took a lot of years and a lot of mistakes, and even once I had gotten something like that, still trying to understand what it was I had and be able to capitalize on it, which, you know, if I had understood more, and again, if I knew more, knew as much as I do now, based on my experience as I would have been, I could have capitalized on a lot more of those opportunities that were given to me, and I could have made much more of it than what I did. So, but I'm not complaining. I, you know, I haven't done as much as some, but I've done a lot more than many, and I've lasted a lot longer than most. So, we appreciate everything that you even giving us some time this week. I don't want to run, keep you too long. So, just one more thing before we have you promote anything. Sure. Doing a holiday episode coming up for Thanksgiving, so we've been asking a lot of guests. Is there anything uh, you're thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for my wife and my family. Can't be thankful enough for them. That's the truth. I mean, I'm really blessed to have them and thankful for my health. I'm thankful that I have gotten to be a professional wrestler for as long as I've gotten to be it and to do the things that I love to do as long as I've gotten to do it. And now I get to own OVW and help young men and women try to go out and do the same things that they you know, want to do. Is there anything you want to promote, Al? Oh, God, lots of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> my book's out there. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Self-Help. I wanted to call it uh, How to Take Crap and Make Shoe Polish and Other Life Lessons <laughs> I Learned from Wrestling, but the publisher didn't want to do that, so they decided to call it Self-Help. You can read even more ridiculous stories like a three-hour car ride with six midgets that involved almost one of them dying and me getting banned from IOP and different taser stories where I got people tasered. One that everybody likes is where uh, some, a promoter and his son were tag team champions and rode, had cowboy gimmick and they rode horses to the ring and the ensuing ridiculousness would happen from that. It's pretty funny. And uh, OV Wrestling, ovwrestling.com, Ohio Valley Wrestling. That's OVW. If you guys have an interest, you can go on YouTube. We are live every Tuesday night on WBNA Channel 21 here locally in Louisville, and we're live every Tuesday night on YouTube. You just got to go to OVW TV on YouTube, and you can watch it live with the rest of everybody else. And ASWA.live is the certified state accredited uh, trade school which is in association with OVW. if you want to go and find more information about that if you want to follow me on twitter facebook and instagram it's the real al snow i do have the check marks and all of that now but before i had to call myself the real al snow because there were some fakes mm. and i would actually message them and go look I don't mind you doing this, but if you're going to fake being a celebrity, don't you think you should a, put the bar a little higher? I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm not going to fake. I'm not even going to fake being me. So why would you? That's perfect, Al. I appreciate it, man. You've been very kind. I can't say it enough, man. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much. Oh, 
thank you guys for giving me the time. I really, I appreciate you guys, you know, getting me alive and getting me relevant out there. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, fans, for another week of the 531, where we take our top five list on a particular subject, vote it down to a top three, and then debate that down to a number one spot. And this week, we have a very interesting topic. Dave, we're doing the top five charismatic wrestlers. Charismatic, baby. Who can talk, who can who can get to the field stuff. It doesn't have to be talk, necessarily, right? It can be like how they perform in the ring, the way they look, but they just lose charisma. An example I gave to this to people was when we did our top five interviews, as good as The Rock is, he didn't quite make my top five interviews. But I'm charismatic, spoiler alert, The Rock will be on my list. Nice. And Jesse from New Hampshire brings us our first list. He's got Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, John Cena, Shawn Michaels, and Ric Flair. Yeah, no denying that. I mean, all those guys are uh, top performers. I have a lot of the lists this week, so I will tell you that surprisingly, Cena doesn't make a lot of people's lists. No, and he's not necessarily somebody I would have thought about, but I also didn't watch a lot during the Cena years where he got big. I mean, there's no denying what Hogan can do. I mean, we lived through Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, and Rick Rick Flair just seems to be charismatic his whole career, my whole lifetime that I remember at least. Say what you will about Rick Flair, but I mean, that's the guy to me that transcends a little bit. I mean... You're talking about rappers, professional athletes, football players who walk around the locker room on stage going, kiss feeling, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying. Woo! I mean, that's, come on, the guy's like 70 something years old and people are still imitating him. Transcend. Big deal. Huge. Now, I'm going to bring you my second list, the last list that I have. I've got Ric Flair, I've got Shawn Michaels, I got Brian Pillman. I got, I got Eli Drake, and I have The Rock. Very good. Eli Drake, huh? yeah, that's not bad. He's one that might not make the list because he's not like in that legendary status, but like he's a very charismatic guy. Yeah, I was trying to think of like the most charismatic people in wrestling, and I feel like he's got to make a modern run for that, especially everything he's done from what we've seen from him in Impact, especially NWA. And just going yeah, forward. Yeah, I mean, one thing about NWA is the way it's set up with the studio, you kind of have to be a good talker. You can't fluff that in, you know, or phone that in. you got to be able to have the stop. He does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, since I have all the other lists, I'll run the marathon here. Let's start off with Jake St. John, author, friend of the show. He's got The Rock, Dusty Rhodes. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ric Flair, and as he put it, he almost put down Gorgeous George, not Macho Man Randy Savage's girlfriend, but Gorgeous George. But then he decided with, in his words, Rowdy fucking Piper. I went back and I watched a bunch of Piper stuff earlier this week where he made a babyface turn in Georgia Championship Wrestling. So good. Like, Piper and his early WWF stuff and before is just legendary. I'm really sad I didn't include Piper or Rhodes on my list. I feel like those are two legendary names that when you're talking charis- 
charisma in wrestling, they're almost like on the Mount Washington, I would think, right up there with Flair. Yeah, no shit. They're definitely, uh, definitely there. I think we're going to see Dusty a few more times. In fact, we'll go to AJ's list. His name, uh, you're not going to see a lot, but he definitely deserves it. Luthez. I was going to say Luthez or Schmidt. <laughs> Fucking Luthez. Yeah, Berm Ganya. AJ Swain's group. I just had to hit the cough button. Oh my god. I had to hit the cough button there, but I I had to you popped me huge on that. Anyway, back to reality, says John Michael said after his magical go get junkyard dog. JYD, who could definitely get the crowd going with just a look. Superstar Billy Graham. Dusty Rhodes, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock. You know, like I said, JYD, someone to look out for. And, he's, and surprisingly, you're going to see him on a few upcoming lists. A lot of our fans, very smart. Superstar Billy Graham makes this list a few times. Wow, I was surprised. I'm kind I don't know. I guess I'm kind of surprised to hear Junkyard Dog. I mean, for what he did in the Mid South area, he was out of hand. And I mean, he got over when he was in the WWE, but that's. Yeah. That's not a list that it sounds like AJ threw together at the last second or looked up on us. <laughs> it's a really Moving solid on. list, and it's kind of what I would figure for like his wheelhouse of being a little little older than us. Well, you know, me and him, actually, for this particular list, he was helping around my house. I mentioned this, but he might have put a little more thought into this one. So, <laughs> hats off. I guess that's an underhanded, backhanded way of saying, AJ, you did a good job this week, pal. <laughs> Let's bring it on. One of our big supporters, Zach St. John, brother of Jake from Griswold. And he's got also superstar Billy Graham. Says he's been watching a lot of Billy Graham stuff lately. He's a big fan. Ah, heartbreak hit. He's got, whoo, Rick Flair, The Rock, and what's he going to do? Hope Hogan. I mean, we're going to see some of these names multiple times. You know, there's no denying the charisma of Hope Hogan. I mean, the guy with the pose and everything, he oozes charisma. There's no doubt. Exactly. And, I mean, he's a garbage-ass wrestler if you go back and watch his matches. But there is a reason that a lot of people around our age have such a fandom of Hogan. Even yeah. after the sex tape and what he said about black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did say he was a stand-up person in his life. We found out some things. No, but he's got the charisma to kind of live through those tragedies, and that's something in itself. He does. And, you know, God damn, the motherfucking ice cream truck again. Ah, it's shit. fucking a- full! <laughs> Shut it down. All right. God, that <laughs> motherfucker's going to be back around in 10 minutes, so get ready for it. I'm going to move on to another list. You can't stop us. We're continuing to roll. We got Scott from Ballantown, friend of the show. He's got Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero. Wow. The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and this is how he wrote it to me, Captain Chris, I'm just kidding, Dusty Rhodes. (laughs) (laughs) So, no offense, Kristen, you didn't quite make the list. However, hats off to Scott for mentioning Eddie Guerrero. I don't know, like, if I, you know, I know what my top five is, Eddie's not on it. But, boy, Eddie's a charismatic guy, and I'm glad Scott mentioned him. I'm glad somebody mentioned him, because he deserves to be mentioned. Exactly, and it was that kind of charisma that I think 
helped him in WWE overcome the bias they have to size? I oh yeah no I mean yeah, he saw Michaels and Brett a little bit but I know Bruce Richard tells the story where he's like since first season and he's like he's tiny look how tiny he is and Bruce actually says that's the next Mexican saw Michaels right there though and you know Vince has said if you watch the Eddie Guerrero DVD documentary when they thought about giving Eddie like a second third chance there's not a lot of people they would do that for but Eddie was special. So that's I think true. That says a lot. I didn't even think about him living through those uh, drug problems at the WWE and how much that charisma probably helped him keep a job and get other chances. Yeah, there's no doubt. And he really flourished in WWE. As much as we criticize people like now for WWE dropping the ball, it was Eddie who had great matches in WCW. But when he got to WWE, his personality really just shined through the whole Latino heat, the white feel. Just so good, so good. And he I'm also kind of seemed to avoid some of the pitfalls of WWE's uh, racist betrayal of certain foreigners. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to get me in the middle here a little bit. I got Dusty Rhodes, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and so called Steve Austin. I didn't mix it up much. Those are the guys I think are the most charismatic. At the end of the day, to me, Dusty... And The Rock are really two of the guys I had to press the top two here. I mean, Dusty to me just could hold a room like no other. The hard time promo, need I say more. And The Rock, the guy is like the biggest name in Hollywood right now. People know how charismatic this guy was. So that's where I land on those guys. Yeah, Dusty is huge. And I... I don't even know what else to say about him. He's kind of right up there with Flair with somebody that's given good interviews our whole life. And yeah. I mean, even in like the later years when he might have been rehashing some things for the third or fourth time in a promo, like say maybe ECW or even MLW, he was still compelling. So he's one of those guys that could almost give you the same act year after year. And you still enjoyed him nonetheless. He knew how to say it, and he knew when to say it, more importantly. Very true. Uh, I'm going to move on here. We got Tim Hartford. Tim actually gave us a big St. John treatment. He gave us a few honorable mentions. Chris Jericho, Gold Dust, Booker T, and Diamond Dallas Page. I'll tell you about DDP. That's a guy, I think, who learned uh, charisma even more so later in his career. When you look at his Hall of Fame speech and how he talks now, this guy is the game. Super, super good on the mic. He always was, but he got even better at time of life. Do you think that's helped him launch the DDPY, or do you think yeah. that's just his natural push? I think that's naturally how he is, but I think it definitely helped get his brand out there, the fact that he's become such a good talker, and the fact that he 100%, 100% immerses himself in whatever he does. You know, he's the general line article, and for everything we've heard, he's kind of that character. That's who he is, like, 24-7. And he's a charismatic person, but it almost seems like he's also like a virtuistic person, not necessarily somebody that might be all charisma. Because if you look at what he did for his friends Scott Hall and oh, Jake yeah. the Snake, that's huge. And that like, that's a different level of good guy. 100%. Now, uh, the rest of Tim Hartford's actual list is HBK, Rick Flair, Superstar Billy Graham, Dusty Rhodes, and The Rock. And draw a little connection here. DDP, he credits so much of what he does. 
because of Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> wow, and Tim Storm, former guest on the show, also credit had a Dusty as a huge influence on him. Absolutely. All right, well, let's wrap up with the final two. Mike Flynn gave us The Rock, Ric Flair, Steve Austin, and as he put it, unfortunately, Hulk Hogan and Chris Jericho. <laughs> so that's Mike Flynn, who's obviously not a Hogan fan, but has to begrudge him at the end of the day go, you know what? fucking guy charismatic we got to give it to him anyway yeah i mean it's like what i was saying before as we've like as i've grown up i've kind of lost my fandom for hulk hogan a little bit because you realize he's not the greatest wrestler as far as in ring work but he can tell a story in the ring he oh god like he's just like the archetypal wrestler I just, he did a lot of damage with that, not only that sex tape, but just those statements. But I got one for you here. Two guys speaking on the Hogan Rock. That WrestleMania match and how important it is that they're so charismatic and what they, and what we learn now, especially in the COVID area, what they did with that crowd. You watch that match silent, not the best match in the world, but because they took the crowd on an emotional roller coaster. It's one of those big WrestleMania moments that people never forget, and that's because of how charismatic those two are, and they knew how to lead a crowd. Yeah, and that's why, like, there's no denying Hogan's charisma and, like, his place in wrestling. Absolutely not. And we're going to get the main event status this week to Randy Oscar from Town because, you know what? We always bust this kid's shop. We've got main events this week. Hey, wait, 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 wait. So not only does he get us to try and book Amber Nova, which we're working on, Randy. (laughs) Put on your seatbelt, bud. But we're giving him main event status. I gave him main event status of the week. (laughs) All right, man. He hasn't even signed up for the Patreon, but that's fine. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't put any fucking content on there, so don't anybody go, like, throwing their money at us yet. Yeah, we don't, we don't want your money yet. <laughs> but, Randy, he gave us The Rock, Ric Flair, Chris Jericho, here's one that's a little different, Jeff Hardy, and Rowdy Piper. Now, I'll say this about Jeff Hardy. Out of the two Hardy brothers, back in the day, Jeff was the one that everybody pegged to be the star. Jeff was the one they put the world title on. Jeff was the one where Jim Ross had to call, climb the ladder, kid, make yourself famous. He was the one that looked a little different. Matt was kind of in the shadow. Now, here we are years later. Matt did a lot of delete stuff and broken stuff. And I think Matt's kind of become more of the two that shines personality-wise. If you had to compare Jeff Hardy at his height creatively in whatever federation versus mm-hmm. Matt Hardy, let's just say his height creatively is the broken universe because, sure. I mean, I feel that's where he really reached a different level. Who like who would you give it to? Do you think the little bit of time that Matt Hardy's done the broken thing can equal what his brother's done for like so long and being that kind of artistic output? Isn't he the charismatic enigma, if I'm not wrong? He is, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's preference, it's taste, right? So for my personal taste, Jeff did have the bigger platform, extended. More people probably know. However, to me, Matt personally was better. He's a better talker of the two. And I think there's a bigger presence now with Matt. If you look at it from this standpoint, too, right? Jeff got over with the machine behind him because they saw something in him. Matt went down to Impact and Ring of Honor and the Independence 
and then showed up to a WWE when we went back to WrestleMania. And all of these fans are standing, delete, delete, delete. True, but when he was in Impact, he did kind of build that with his brother. So it's almost... That, that's where it makes it tough. Like, who, like who's the more creative? Because I feel... I feel like Jeff's got like that heavier artistic side, but Matt can just sure. make it. Matt can keep it on the road easier, keep it in, keep it in between the lines, yeah. so to well, speak. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a tough one. That's another debate down the road. Maybe me and AJ will tackle that. Oh, God, uh, yeah, that would be an awesome topic. We, yeah. I mean, we know how you feel about the Bulldog wrestling on crack, so I feel like you're already coming out for Jeff Hardy. You know what? The kid did it, all right? <laughs> hey, that's not underestimate Matt, though. Matt did some drugs back in the day. Matt, I respect you, bro. <laughs> I saw some of the stuff you did. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there like a WWE documentary where he's like falling asleep at the table? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of shit with Matt and Joe. All right. However, this is not about who was the best drug addict this week. <laughs> this is about who's got the most charisma. Joe, smoke another one. All right. <laughs> oh, God. Now, hey, you're calling me out, man. They can't even see the video. <laughs> so, uh, I'm looking at this list, man. We got a lot of people uh, mentioned multiple times. When I was going through reading them, were you keeping track or were you too busy smoking up again? hot? <laughs> I was not necessarily keeping track, but, I mean, I could tell you just from what memory I do have – I feel like Hogan was on there a bunch of times. A lot of yep. times unwillingly. Yeah. Ric Flair made a ton of lists. The Rock yep. made a lot of lists. Dusty. Dusty. Yeah, Dusty. I didn't even have on my list, but I should have had him on there. Superstar Billy Graham made a surprising number of lists. Was it more than two? Yeah, I think it was three. But Dusty's on this list. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so let's put Dusty in the next round. I mean, Ric Flair's got to go in the next round. And who do you want to split it between? Maybe a debate between Rock, Michaels, and, Rock, and Hogan. Rock and Hogan. Perfect. It's gotta be. Yeah, it's gotta be. And this is good. Wow. This is gonna yeah, be pretty easy. Yeah. This normally, uh, you know, like we say, like the this week, we're arguing about who's gonna lose, but any of these guys can win, really. <laughs> Yeah, and especially, I think that The Rock's got to go over Hogan. If not, for, like, the way I think about it is, like, the racist statements aside, I think that the fact that Rock got into Hollywood, made arguably better movies, and was able to transition into a career like that almost has to put his charisma over the top. He came back to WrestleMania just to shoot a flamethrower off. That's a real Uh, thing. You're kind of taking the words out of my mouth. I was going to say Hogan had to prolong on top pro wrestling career for his charismatic, but Rock was so charismatic, he basically became bigger in pro wrestling. His charisma has carried him on to that next level. So, yeah, I think Rock's got to go over Hogan. And then we got a hell of a final three here. <laughs> yeah, and I think this might be the first time in a while that the third person in, or, like, the last person in, isn't the first person bounced. Because, I mean, you got I, I, Dusty, Ric Flair, yeah. and The Rock. Honestly, yeah, uh, to me, it's between Dusty and The Rock. Damn, Joe, you're fucking... This. Taking the words out of my mouth. I want to argue a bit, but that's what I'm going to go with because even though as much as I love Rick, at the end of the day, I just think there was something more charismatic about Dusty. 
recently they covered it was Rick or Dusty on uh, the Jim Ross podcast, and they talked about how Jim Crockett had uh, Dusty put Stardust on the plane, and Jim Crockett didn't stop it. And you know that probably didn't make Rick Flair feel too good because at the end of the day. Jim Crockett, even though we had the title on Flair, he's basically telling you, but Dusty's our guy. He's our number one. Yeah. So that's how I'm kind of like, it's really so close. I'm sure AJ might disagree, but at the end of the day, I'm going to move Dusty that final round, and it's Dusty in the rock. And think about, too, the, the fact that Dusty's charisma might have helped him as a teacher going forward because he inspired, like, a whole nother generation. He did. And in it, like, I think part of what he taught them was charisma or kind of how to find their character. You know, I believe I've heard Sasha Banks say it in interviews. I'm sure anybody that came through NXT felt like the brush of Dusty. Here's the thing. I think The Rock, we said, okay, he's so charismatic, he went to that next level with the movie, right? Yeah. But let's look at The Rock. All right? Pretty handsome guy, all right? I'm a straight heterosexual male. Nothing wrong with that. But Rock is a handsome-looking man. Hey, he's, he's half the kind of guy you would put in movies. <laughs> Dusty is damn sure not. Yeah. However, Dusty's so charismatic that despite his look, he had people all over him, all the fans. You can even go back to the old interviews. You get They put, like, uh, the mic in the crowd and Florida wrestling. And girls are like, I want to see Dusty Rhodes. He's a hunk. Like, mm. no, he's not, bitch. But I respect the fact that Dusty was able to get that far over. So to me, given his look and how over, how charismatic he was, I'm going to go with Dusty. But, hey, man, you can make the argument. It's close. It's tough because the blacks, the Jesus Christ, the rock is half black and half Samoan. And I mean, shit, even Nia Jax at her size is quite fetching. So that is a combination you can't deny. But like you said, Dusty is taking a, you know, he's a chubby guy. He's got yeah. a lisp, but he's My got a little bit round. My hind is a little bit big, <laughs> but I'm bad and they know it. Yeah, and I mean, just his charisma almost like won anybody over. So I, I honestly think that Dusty's got to take it this week. Yeah, he was our best interview guy, too. I remember I argued for that and talked for him to come with me and I'm winning it. So, goddamn it. So one thing you know about the Working Fans podcast, actually, Jim, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm just going to say this, too. What my first idea when we were brainstorming for this, and obviously it was probably going to be plagiarism, we couldn't get away with it, I wanted to call this the Common Man podcast. So I am a fucking mark for Dusty anyway, so it is what it is. Yeah, and I mean, everybody that's talked to us thinks it's the Working Man's podcast. We've had yeah. more than a couple audio drops that we've either haven't used or had to somehow just like let it go because they're too big a guest. But it's all yeah. dusty influenced, and that's something that his level of charisma will do. But Dave, you hear the music. You know what time it is, guys. Time to get funky like a monkey, baby. We out. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If 
if you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 